Well, Miss Marianne, now you've hit all of my favorite carols. I told, I told Miss Marianne yesterday when I was calling her to tell her what hymns we had picked. I, I said, since I get to pick the hymns, I get to pick all my favorite Christmas carols. And, and, uh, and I picked the hardest ones. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, um, I hope that we've maybe sung a few of your favorites as we've sung through these the last two weeks. So uh, I, one of my favorite things about Christmas is all the different Christmas carols, particularly O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That's my favorite. And that's the one she said was the hardest, I think. It's a minor key, isn't it? It's, uh, yes. it's pretty difficult. So, uh, but it's a very pretty song. Well, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to look at a, a, a neat little story uh, in the book of Samuel to be reminded of the Christmas season today. Uh, if you remember from last time, or if you were here last time, you, get, you might remember that I said we're going to do kind of a, I guess, a two-part series. I'm not sure if if a series is made, can be made up of two parts, but we're going to do a two-part series on two characters uh, that, to me, typify who the Messiah would be. And as I said last time, you know, oftentimes during this time of year, we hear that common phrase that Jesus is the reason for the season. And we do want to be reminded during the Christmas season, it is important for us as Christians to be reminded that Jesus is indeed the reason that we celebrate Christmas. But... Uh, as I pointed out last time, Jesus is not just the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for everything. And particularly, as I said last time, Jesus is the reason for all of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is chock full of stories and prophecies and songs and uh, various different literary devices that remind us or point us to who the Messiah would be. And there are two particular characters, two important characters that remind us or point us to Jesus better than any others. And last time we looked at the fact that Jesus is a better Adam. And Jesus is a better Adam because Jesus is a better ruler and Jesus is a better righteous one. Jesus accomplishes what Adam failed to do. Adam was charged with ruling and reigning over God's good creation, and he failed to do that. And Jesus restores the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God. If you think about the, what Jesus came to preach, he came to preach the coming of the kingdom of God. The reason we call this season uh, building up to Christmas, we call this the Advent season, is because it is the Advent of the rule of the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. This, the other character that plays heavily into the Christmas story, in fact, you can't read very far into the book of Luke or the book of Matthew without reading this man's name. The other character in the Old Testament that plays heavily into the story of Jesus' birth is David. King David. Jesus is said to be, over and over again, the son of David or the heir of David. And so we need to look at the story of David's uh, anointing as the king of Israel to see just the significance of that, um, of that uh, 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 foreshadowing that David has. 
But as we get into the Christmas season and as we get into uh, thinking about the birth of Jesus, you know, one of the things that happens every year and it's a, just a common practice. In fact, some of you may have a, a, a habit of doing this during the Christmas season is that, you know, on, in cable on cable television, whether it's Hallmark or Disney or whatever it may be, is they they get in uh, they have throughout the years gotten to where they run Christmas movies nonstop from the end of uh, November all the way through to Christmas Day or New Year's uh, Day. And, and Hallmark particularly has made their name in this. You know, they have, I think, uh, nonstop from the beginning of, of uh, December all the way through to, um, to Christmas Day, they have uh, Hallmark Christmas movies that play over and over again. And, and uh, I, I don't remember what channel it is, but there's a channel that has this annoying Christmas uh, song that they play here in commercials uh, that's called the 25 Days of Christmas Song, I think is what it's called. But it's just that over and over again. And they intend for it to get on your nerves because they want you to be reminded that they've got 25 days of Christmas movies on this particular channel. Like I said, I don't remember which channel it is. But the one thing that is that comes up over and over again in these movies and in particularly in pop culture is that we all feel like we have to define the meaning of Christmas. And particularly in these movies, every Christmas movie has to say in one way or another what Christmas is all about. But because it's in secular culture, they don't want it to be about Jesus. So they have to find something else that Christmas is all about. And so some of them get pretty close. You know, they'll say things like Christmas is a time of giving. Christmas is all about giving or Christmas is all about hope or Christmas is all about peace. And all of that's true. Christmas is about those things. But they just barely miss the mark of recognizing that Jesus is the, the source of all of those things. And the reason that we, for example, celebrate giving at Christmas is because of the greatest gift that we receive in Jesus Christ. Some put the, all the focus on decorations or time with family or romance or whatever it might be, and they, they put it on that instead of on these larger thematic uh, ideas. But the true meaning of Christmas, as we all know, is found in the Son of God who was born as the King of heaven and earth. There is no better earthly picture, in my opinion, of that very fact than the reign of David. Like I said, David figures heavily into the Christmas story itself anyway. But for all of his greatness... David still fell short of being the king that would rule over all the earth. And so this morning, I want you to see that Jesus is a better David. Jesus is greater than David because he had a better heart and because he is a better heir. So we're going to look at those two points today. Jesus had a better heart, has a better heart. And Jesus is a better heir than David. So let me open with a word of prayer. And then we'll read 1 Samuel chapter 16 verses 1 through 10 to begin with that first point. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, as we come today to consider your word and to consider the the greatest example in the Old Testament of who Jesus would be, Lord, may we be reminded that all of the Old Testament was to foreshadow and point us to the true king, the king that would never uh, turn his heart away from you, the king who would reign as you had called him to, the king who rightly had the claim to the throne to the throne of heaven and earth. So, Father, bless us as we study from your word. Give us understanding. Give us a heart to hear and to know and to follow you. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus has a better heart than David. And let's read 1 Samuel 16, uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 10 to see that. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you. And say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he, took, he looked at Elab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. Because I have rejected him, for the Lord sees not as men see. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadad and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Samuel made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. So remember, if you will, the story of Saul. Remember that Saul uh, was initially this hopeful king. Remember that the Israelites had grown tired of the judges and the fact that there was this uncertainty of how the rule of Israel would ha- would come about. And so they asked Samuel to appoint for them a king that might rule over them like the other nations. And you remember Samuel didn't want to initially do that because God had intended all along that he would be king over Israel, that God himself would be king over Israel. But God told Samuel, do as they would, that as the people of Israel asked. And so he sent uh, Samuel to a city of Benjamin 
And Samuel looked and God said, this, that man shall be king. And he looked and Saul was this strapping man. He, in fact, the Bible says that he was a head and shoulders above every other man. And so Samuel said, surely this man is the king of Israel. And they anointed him there. But it turns out that even though Samuel, I mean, Saul was a good looking guy, even though he was big and strong, even though he was from a prominent family, he matched all the pedigree that you would think a king would have. He was a nut job. I mean, he was crazy. Uh, he... Uh, uh, from all the accounts, had to have a mental illness. If we, if we knew him today, we would say he had to have a mental illness. He just, he was paranoid. He could, didn't trust anyone. He tried to kill David on numerous occasions, even when David was serving as a, a musician in his own court. He uh, was uh, just totally untrustworthy. And this all comes to a head when in the previous chapters to chapter 16, when Saul is waiting on Samuel to show up to offer a sacrifice before the armies of Israel go into battle against the Philistines. And Saul waits and he waits and Samuel hasn't come and he waits three days and Samuel still isn't there. So Saul gets impatient and he goes and he offers the sacrifice. And when Samuel gets there, he tells Saul that he has lost the favor of the Lord, that God would choose another who, from a different line of Israel who would replace him. And uh, Saul loses the favor of Israel and the favor of God because of that one act. You remember Samuel. Samuel is getting old and uh, is the priest and the prophet of God and has led Israel very faithfully. And, but now he is uncertain of the direction that God will send. And then the last character we see in this story is an unknown man really throughout the rest of the, the uh, scripture. And that is this father named Jesse. Jesse is from the town of Bethlehem. He is from the tribe of Judah a very little known town, very close to Jerusalem itself. And all of this is to show just how much of a, an uncertain situation we find ourselves in when God calls Samuel to go and to anoint a new king after Saul. Samuel knows how paranoid Saul is. And so he asked the Lord, how am I going to carry this out? Because as soon as Saul hears that I'm going to anoint another king, he's either going to kill me or he's going to kill the king himself that, that I anoint. And so God tells uh, Saul, uh, Samuel to do two things. First, he's going to keep a secret and then he's going to carry out a search. So the secret is that he's going to go under the auspices of carrying out a sacrifice. He's going to show up to Bethlehem and he's going to offer a sacrifice and he's going to make sure that Jesse and his sons are there for the sacrifice. And the search he's going to carry out is God says, I want you to go and I'm going to have Jesse's sons come before you and I will tell you which one is going to be the king. 
So in this search, we find that Samuel, just like all of us and just like all of Israel would have done, Samuel makes an assumption about who should be king that we all would make and we miss the heart of God and the intention of God in it. God uh, has Jesse bring his sons, or Samuel has Jesse bring his sons before him, and sure enough, the oldest comes forward, and he's a young, strapping lad. He looks good. He looks qualified. He, he uh, looks like he could be a successful king. And God says, no, that's not the one I want. He brings the next one forward. Surely this one's going to be it. No. Nope. Not that one. Brings another one. He brings all seven of the sons of Jesse who were there forward. And none of them are chosen by God to be king. God allows Samuel to go through the whole family before revealing David because he wants to teach him and he wants to teach us something about his own priorities. You see, God, and he tells us here in this passage, God is not looking at the outward appearance. He is looking at the heart. So many times throughout the Old Testament, God calls his people to change their hearts. He tells them in Deuteronomy that they are a stiff-necked people and that what they need to do is change their hearts. He tells them in Ezekiel that they are being judged by God because they have a hard heart and they need to change their hearts. Psalm 51, 17 says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. You know, the story of Jesus's birth is very similar in that respect. If you think about the story of the wise men in the book of Matthew, the wise men did the same thing. When they saw the star and they followed the star, they uh, first went not to the stable over which the star hung, but they went to Jerusalem. They went to the palace because they assumed if a king was going to be born, obviously he would be born in a palace. He would be born where any rightful king would be born. But they found him in a stable, born to lowly descendants of David. You will not find Jesus in the shopping centers or in the holiday commercials or in the after Christmas sales. You will find Jesus in the lowly things. Jesus is not where we would think he would be. He is not in the places that have an outward appearance of holiness, but yet inwardly are empty and dry. He is in the lowly things. He is in simple things like worshiping together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. He is in the small things like sitting with your family on Christmas Eve and reading the story of Jesus's birth together. He is in the singing of praises to the newborn king. He is in the loving your neighbor any day of the week, but especially in this time of giving 
as we give and reminded of the gift of Jesus that we were given. Jesus is in the lowly things. And for all that David was, David still failed. You know, the interesting thing is that David was said to be a man after God's own heart. And we could we could take this uh, statement of God here that God doesn't look at the outward things, but he looks at the heart. And we could say, well, yeah, that's what salvation is all about. God's not looking for you to do good deeds. He's looking for your heart to be right. And we could think, well, my heart is good. And most people do think well, my heart is good. I have a good heart. So when when God judges me, even though I've messed up a few times, even though I haven't done exactly what I was supposed to do, God's going to judge me rightly. He's going to judge me and accept me because I have a good heart. But the story of David is a story of a man who indeed was a man after God's own heart. And yet David says in Psalm 51 that God must create in him a clean heart. Because even this man who was a man after God's own heart did not have a pure heart. David, we all know, failed miserably in the story of his life. He committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba and he killed that woman's husband Uriah in order to cover it up. But brothers and sisters, Jesus is a better David because he has a better heart. Sure, David was a man after God's own heart, but Jesus had the very heart of God. And so... He was completely and totally obedient inwardly and outwardly to the word and the will of God because Jesus uh, had the very heart of God. David was foreshadowing who Jesus would be in a man that was totally given to God and to his service. And the second point that I want you to see is that Jesus is a better heir than David. Look with me at verses 11 through 13 for that. Then Samuel said, Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was a ruddy, uh, he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. God's choice of David surprised Samuel, and it should surprise us as well. There are three things about this choice of, of David that I want you to notice that are surprising for us and for Samuel. Three things, the, the last son, the lowly shepherd, and the, Lord, the Lord's anointing. The first thing that I want you to notice that is surprising is that David is the last son. 
In verse 11, we find out that there is one last son that is left. And he was so uh, dismissed and despised by the family that he wasn't even considered a son by Jesse until Samuel asked, is there any other son left? You see, in those days, the firstborn son was supposed to receive all of the honor. And that's why they brought the first son to Samuel first, is they expected, surely if there's to be any king, it would be this firstborn son. This lastborn son was the one that got nothing in the inheritance. He was the one who was most unfavored in society. But God totally flips the, that convention on its head by choosing the last son to be king over all of Israel. Jesus came from an unsuspecting place too. Jesus was born in a little suburb of Jerusalem called Bethlehem. He was born uh, to peasant people, peasants of the day, Joseph and Mary, a carpenter and a young virgin who was likely 13 or 14 at the time. He was born and lived in Nazareth, a, a forgotten uh, hovel in, that was so far removed that up until about 20 or 30 years ago, they didn't even know that it was a, 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 an actual real city until they discovered a few homes in an archaeological dig. This was an insignificant place and an insignificant people. And yet God chooses the lowly. He chooses the despised to make great. And the second point that I want you to see is this is surprising because God chooses the lowly shepherd. In verse 11, we also find that David was out shepherding the flock. And now shepherds were the lowest of professions. And it's probably for that reason that David was left out of the sacrifice. In fact, the Jews believed that shepherds were unclean because of their close proximity to animals and the likelihood that they had to deal with dead bodies, which would make them ceremonially unclean. But God loves the poor and the downtrodden while the world runs from them and runs over them. The angels, if you remember the story of Jesus' birth, the angels come first to the shepherds. They are the ones, the lowly and the despised, who hear first of Jesus' birth. Jesus compares himself over and over again to the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And the last thing that is surprising about this choice of God is that the Lord, the, that God chooses the Lord's anointing. In verse 13, I want you to notice that at his anointing, David was gifted not only with the rule of the whole of Israel, but he was gifted with the Holy Spirit. It said that the Holy Spirit rushed upon him from that day forward. Even though David's anointing and his reign were great, though, he still 
fell short of the glory of God. But Jesus was anointed too. He was anointed in the River Jordan by a Samuel-like figure named John the Baptist. And on that anointing, it says that the Spirit rushed upon him as well, but in a way that was different. In fact, the way that it was most different is you know from that story of Jesus' baptism that when he was baptized, when he came up out of the water, the heavens opened up and a voice from heaven declared, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. David was a man after God's own heart, but Jesus was the very Son of God. So Jesus is a better heir because he was the Son of God and the true heir of the throne of heaven and earth. Luke chapter 1 verse 32 says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. This Christmas, stop searching in all the wrong things and in all the wrong places for the true meaning of Christmas and look for the very heart of God found in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. Jesus is indeed the reason for the season, but Jesus is the reason for everything. Jesus is the reason for all that we do, even after Christmas is over and New Year's begins and you get into April and, and May and you forget about all of this season, yet Jesus is still the reason for everything that you do. So often we think in this particular season that just the right mix of family and gifts and fun will make Christmas meaningful this year. And it will make it worth all the effort and the hectic uh, running around that we do right before Christmas. But only understanding that Jesus is the King that God has promised will truly fill your heart with the joy of God. Today you might be here because it's just what you do, you know, as part of the Christmas season. You go to Christmas service at, at the local church and you, you do what you're supposed to do. And, and uh, that gets you in the spirit and it gets you reminded of, of what Christmas is all about. But really, Jesus doesn't reign in your life. Today, will you surrender to Jesus Christ as the King of heaven and earth and the King of your life as well? Jesus was born to the lowly. He was born for the lowly. He was born so that those who are separated from God might be restored in their relationship to God. Won't you trust in Jesus Christ today? Maybe you're here today and you know all of that and you know the reason for the season, but you want to be reminded of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And that hope is that we have a king that right now is ruling and reigning. Yes, he is ruling and reigning in this season of Christmas, but he is ruling and reigning over the world, over all of God's creation for now and forever. And he starts by ruling and reigning here in your heart and in the heart of this church, and in the heart of all of his people who live for him in this world. Will you go out from this place and live for Christ as you are called to your various callings, your various tasks? Will you live and let him reign in this season and in everything that you do? Let's close with a word of prayer.
Heavenly Father, thank you for the, the good gift of Jesus Christ. Jesus was indeed, uh, had a better heart than David. And he indeed was a better heir than David. And because of that, we are able to be restored in our relationship to you. And we now have a king who rules over us as we trust in him. Father, I pray that we would be reminded of that during this season of Christmas and that we would go forward into this new year ready to serve you and ready to live for you as those who are uh, ruled by a king who is good, who loves and serves you. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.